Welcome back to Sports Intoxication. It's been a week. Happy New Year. Uh, that was actually the title of our last episode was Happy New Year, which hopefully you have already listened to last week's episode and started your new year off the right way, which is with sports intoxication. Um, I'm joined by Matt. Happy New Year, everyone. And we think Chase is going to be jumping on shortly. Um I don't know what the delay is tonight. Hopefully another home renovation project is not taken down old BC. Um, a lot to talk about this weekend. We, uh, we have NBA, or NBA uh, NFL playoffs starting this weekend with the expanded NFL playoffs. It's kind of exciting actually to have a Saturday full of games and a Sunday full of games. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome to have, what, three games Saturday, three games Sunday. You get the night game Sunday night, which is new. Um, so. Yeah, and and these matchups, like, we'll, we'll get into more of that later, but um, there's some, some interesting matchups. There's obviously with letting an extra team in, there's and then with the whole disaster in the NFC East, there's uh, some interesting stuff going on over there too. But um, some, some, some stuff – I'm, I'm excited about, um, and I'm excited, like I said, for, for just two full days of games. Um, we'll recap the college football playoff, and we can throw a, another pick on that, too, because none of us got the championship right. Nope. Um, so Ohio State pulling the upset big time, uh, just rolling the Clemson Tigers, um, and certainly an intriguing matchup there with Alabama on Monday night. And the second year of the Zach Taylor era came to a, I guess I wouldn't call it a merciful end on Sunday. Um, It came to a bloody end on Sunday as the Ravens, who were playing for a lot more than the Bengals, uh, and it looked like it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the right place to start is with, (laughs) let's just get that out of the way. Um, Wow, that was... That was not a good performance to end the year on. Um, Thorough would would be a word that I would use. Yeah, you could just from the opening kick of that game, it was just. And thankfully, I did not watch much of the game. It was on, but I, I didn't. I didn't see a ton of it. Um, thankfully, but from what I gather, I mean, it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of effort there. Um, just kind of seemed like a team playing out the string, which is disappointing, but not necessarily, I guess, unexpected. But, um, you know, I think all three of us kind of had that game going a lot differently than it did uh, for sure. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think obviously by now we know that Taylor will be back and Sweet Lou and um, – He'll be back. Um, I've been with the running backs coach and Jim Turner, offensive line coach, out, and I think a couple other ones. But, um, yeah, assistant uh, defensive line coach. Well, defensive line coach, assistant defensive line coach, running back coach, wide receiver coach, and offensive line coach Jim Turner yeah. were all. Um, and, and it was leaked on Saturday that three of those five would be gone. And I was listening to the – 
Bengals beat podcast or not Bengals beat podcast. Wow. Um, hear that podcast ground mm-hmm. on the athletic. Um, and they talked about how unprofessional it was. Whoever leaked this information is probably, it probably was a coach that was let go. Um, but in a lot of these kind of situations, the team doesn't, really make it public and you'll see something pop up that says, Hey, this guy's going to Kentucky, which is what happened with their running right. back coach. Um, and so it, it just the optics of it, which I mean, who cares about the optics? I think that's kind of silly, but it's also pretty shitty to, if you got fired to out the other people that got fired before they have a chance to try to get another job or whatever. So I thought that that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of another day in Cincinnati Bengal, you know, front office sort of how they handle their business. It's just counter uh, counterproductive. Uh, you could. Well, I mean, depending, I, I, I agree with you. If it was someone from the Bengals that leaked it, if it was someone that got let go that leaked it, then sure. that person, it, it seems like it was a good thing that they got let go because that's probably why because they're not part of the team. Not a team player. I guess my my point is it's just not surprising that something like that happens here um, in this organization. Totally. But the other question is, for me, why in the world, A, would that decision be made before the final game of the season? B, would those coaches be told about it before the final game of the season? Like, are you trying for what the results happen on Sunday for that to happen? I mean, like, yeah, that part of it is – very organizationally stupid to me. Um, like, can't you have an end of season interview and just say, Hey, look, we're going to go in a different direction. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how those, that business works. So I shouldn't, uh, act like I do, but I thought that was interesting. Cause they talked about that. The other thing that I thought was interesting, you mentioned Lou Anarumo coming back. Um, I think that it, it makes a ton of sense. Um, given the situation that Zach Taylor and the rest of this coaching staff are in, if the Bengals were going to go get a quote unquote high profile uh, defensive coordinator, who's going to be like, yeah, yeah, I'll sign up for that when your head coach might be gone week four or five next right. week next year. Yeah. I mean, that, that part makes um, a lot of sense. That does. So, and it doesn't change my mind that I still would have liked to have seen something different, um, especially after Sunday. But I guess at this point it is what it is, and we'll start next year with Lou Anaruma. I also thought that there were some good points made by Tyler Boyd, who went on record and said, um, first of all, a few guys came out and supported the, the decision for Zach Taylor to come back, one of which being Joe Burrow, which is obviously the most important one. Um, but Tyler Boyd saying how difficult it is to to put in a new system and then how difficult it is to get a rapport with your new coaches and how difficult it is to – you like Tyler Burrow – or Tyler Boyd and Joe Burrow already have, you know, some chemistry or whatever – but I think that chemistry almost starts over when you have a yep. new system and you have new terminology and all that. So, so as we've talked about at length on this podcast, we don't want to keep changing coordinators and keep changing, especially offensively, to stunt the development of Joe. Um, but 
Also, next year's a big, big, big year for Zach Taylor, especially if the Bengals do what they did last year and invest some dollars right in free agency. So yeah, and I mean it, it makes sense, right? And we talked about it at length, and I've gone back and forth on it on here. And um, the more I thought about it, I, I, you know, I said in our group chat on Saturday or whenever that was Sunday that that performance to me should have been enough to lead to a firing of, of Taylor and the whole staff. And the more I thought about it, I I don't think that's necessarily fair um, to hinge it all on a performance in a week 17 game that really doesn't mean anything. And you're playing without a significant amount of impact players on your team um, against the team who's had your number and against the team who was playing for something. Uh, I would have liked to seen more effort and a little better performance, but realistically that game doesn't mean anything and, and you shouldn't make rash decisions on that performance alone. And I think there have been signs of um, some improvement, you know, in Taylor, in the offense, um, yada, yada, yada. But, um, you know, I don't know that he's necessarily deserved to get another year, but it's not surprising to me that he's coming back. And like I said, I don't think the more I thought about it, I don't think it is right necessarily to make that decision based on a terrible performance in week 17. You know, you you go into week 17 having made that decision already, whether or not he's coming back, which they clearly did. Um, And you don't hinge it. You know, they could have lost that game 100 to nothing. And I don't necessarily think that changes the decision. You should make that decision based on however good or bad you feel about the body of work that he's done up to that point, not including, you know, a meaningless game. And your confidence in him in yeah. general yeah. as the coach of your of your team. I do think that uh, Mike Brown's statement was really interesting. Um, and Mo Egger wrote a piece for The Athletic about it. Basically, Mike Brown said, you guys freaking bothered me to get a new goddamn coach. And I didn't want to get a new damn coach. And the fans were bitching and bitching and bitching. So I got you a new coach. Yeah. Now deal with it. Like, I mean, that's – read through the lines of what Mike Brown yeah. said. Like, it's it's funny. Oh, it's absolutely what he said. Um, and, you know, <laughs> it's telling. Um, that's kind of what your inner thinks. But it's not surprising that that's what he said. Um, so, you know, it's just it's – just, that's Mike Brown for you. It really is. Hi, Brian. So, will anything change when uh, he's out of the picture and Katie and Troy are running the show, or is it going to be business as usual? I I feel like it it will. I feel like it has to change a little bit just because people are different, you know. Um, but it's a great question, and I don't know the extent of any kind of, I don't even, I can't even begin to fathom how to answer it. Like, um, 
but like Paul told us, like, you know, Mike's not making a bunch of decisions mm-hmm. every day. Um, but this team needs to, and we're going to, we're, we're going to dive deep, deep, deep into this in another show or a few, or whenever we decide to do our Bengals off season, uh, podcast, we do roster analysis or whatever we're going to do. Um, it, they need to change the way that they look at some things. And I think it starts. I know that it starts this off season with fixing the offensive line, fixing the unit that's going to protect the franchise. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully I think from everything that you hear from people that are connected, they, that's the plan, right? I mean, they, it sounds like they, have somewhat of a plan in place or an idea of a plan to go out and fix that offensive line. They should have the money. You would think, you know, you're not going to resign an AJ green. You're not. Um, so that frees up a ton of money. Um, Sean Williams Hart, is probably gone. Not gonna be Gino uh, yeah. Carlos's money is and, gone. You know, you just have to go out and, <laughs> you got to sign some guys that are bona fide, that are bona fide starters in the NFL on the, on that position. And, you know, they haven't had the more you think about like the NFL draft and, you know, drafting a guy like Penny Sewell or, you know, I saw one the other day drafting an offensive, the offensive lineman from Northwestern, I think who's supposed to be pretty good. Um, yeah. Rashawn Slater, you know, we haven't had a whole lot of success drafting offensive linemen uh, high up. They haven't really had a lot of success drafting anybody, but specifically offensive linemen. Uh, not lately. Not lately. And so yeah. that's why I think you got to make hay in free agency at that position. And then, you know, if you can go out and get a playmaker at wide receiver, I think that would be an ideal scenario. But that's just my two cents on it. Yeah, I'm interested to see what they can get done in free agency because there's obviously desirable pieces out there um, and the Bengals have the cap space and I think the Bengals have proved over the years that they're they're willing to spend up to the cap. The question is, are those players willing to come to Cincinnati? I mean, I think if you look at, you know, you got Joe Burrow on your roster, that's going to be very appealing. But my question is, okay, you got Joe Burrow, but, like, what do you have in Zach Taylor? Does anybody believe that Zach Taylor can actually coach this team to success? Yeah, and that's a good point. I think that's where, you know, it could just be player speak, right? I don't know. But it does seem like the guys you want to hear from on this team, the key players, have – and you, you got to take it with a grain of salt. I understand that completely. But it does, you do hear Burrow, like you heard Burrow today on Colin Cowherd singing Taylor's praises. You've heard Tyler Boyd, you know, talk, talk good about him. You've heard these guys talk well about him. So, um, again, you have to take it with a grain of salt. And maybe they can do a little recruiting to, to get some guys here and say, hey, take a chance here. And I think that's probably your best, your best bet is, you have to have the players do the recruiting for you because nobody's going to want to come here <laughs> right. willingly. Um, yeah, and, and it, it'd be interesting. I mean, 
you're a professional athlete. You figure these people are probably, you know, um, the, the optimists of the optimists out there. Like they always, they believe in their talents. They believe that they can win, but um, it'd be interesting to hear what they say behind the scenes. Cause sure. you wouldn't think that at this point, anybody would be saying like, it wouldn't, it would do burrow no good to come out and, you know, Absolutely. be having a rift with Taylor at this point, same with Tyler Boyd. So uh, no, I, again, I completely agree there, but, yeah, they don't. Have, they don't have to come stump for Burrow, him publicly, and and they are. Um, I think that Joe Burrow is pretty thoughtful with the words that he says publicly, and that's a hundred percent what I was going to say, Matt. Is that they don't have to come out and say, "Yeah, he's the guy. He's he's the guy," um, and they did. So it tells you, it tells you one that he hasn't quote unquote lost the locker room and he could have lost a lot of respect in the locker room on the defensive side of the ball or whatever, or with some of the veterans, but those veterans are going to be gone and it matters what Joe. I think that's another interesting thing is you cut rid of, get rid of some of the fat on this team, you know, guys that were here for the Marvin Lewis Era. I mean, there's what Gino's left. You have AJ Green, obviously, is left. You have some guys in what Mixon and Boyd were here for a year or two, but you have some old time dudes on this team that have been here for a long time that Dunlap, another one who were used to a certain way. And, um, you know, they might not like what Taylor's doing. Um, and it's clearly been the old time guys on this team that have been problems um, the last two years. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe you get rid of them and, you know, get your full roster in there and maybe that helps things. I don't know. Um, that's probably me just being optimistic a little bit. No, um, I, I don't think you're wrong. I, I, I mean, I know I was Zach Taylor critic number one last year Um I, I think he definitely grew this year. And I think somebody that really, this is his first head coaching experience. This is his first play client experience. As far as I can tell, other than at UC under tubs, which that's completely different than calling plays in the NFL. So I, I think it was unrealistic to expect good things. It was, they were just so bad last year and this year, they were at least competitive for the most part. Um, I, I guess the thing that m- maybe the thing, okay, if you're going to go into next year with Zach Taylor's your guy, fine. The, yeah, they are. I think but they are. What, here's what, what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't think it should be, if you really believe that much in this guy, it shouldn't be make or break next year. Like they need to be better, but it shouldn't be playoffs or bust. And, and if that is the perspective, and if that's the perspective that ownership is putting out there, then why not just clean house defensively and say, look, Taylor's our guy. He's not going anywhere, but we need better defensive coaches. So let's get people in here that can help this defense improve. Because I, I've seen flashes from Taylor. Defensively, I haven't seen anything. 
Yeah. Well, I, we we talked about this a little bit before you jumped on, Brian, and we talked about how the fact that um, that Zach Taylor is kind of you you hit the nail on the head, but Zach Taylor's going into year three with a lot to prove. And to say to a defensive coordinator that isn't Louie Anarumo, to say, hey, come join this this staff, there could be, and there probably would be, some hesitation um, around the league based on the fact that they don't know if Zach Taylor's going to be there. Now, that could also mean that they get elevated to a position of head coach, at least on an interim basis. But I think that would probably go to Darren Simmons, who's been here for forever and is very, very, very respected around the league. Um, but – I get the idea of why it would be hard to get someone to come here, but you already fixed that problem. You stated clearly that if Zach Taylor's your guy, then put it out there that Zach Taylor's not going anywhere. So you have job security. If you can come in here and get this thing turned around. Um, I think that we could be looking if, if it were up to, to me to fix the quote unquote bangles this off season, um, I would be spending heavily on the offensive line and free agency, potentially still spending um, a high draft pick or two on the offensive line, depending on what I got in free agency and spending to get another wide receiver or two in here. I would be investing a lot on the offensive side of the ball, which then you're going to look at Louie Anaruma next year and say, Hey, go out and get better results with the same pieces. Now, those same pieces are going to include Trey Waynes. It's going to include hopefully a full year of DJ Reader being healthy. Um, and then hopefully some more production from Sam, Sam or uh, from Hubbard. But, and then you got to figure out what you're going to do with Lawson. But you get guys like Josh Tupu back and Rennell Wren, but those guys weren't difference makers in the first place. So, um, but like we said, the priority has to be fix the offense and get Joe fix the line and get Joe Burrow weapons. Yeah. I mean, I, let me ask this is, um, is T Higgins the vertical threat that we need, or do we need somebody that can take the top off? I think they need somebody that can take. That's why I think the free agency thing, like I said before, is so interesting. If they can sure shore up the offensive line in free agency and you have that five pick, I mean, the, stud playmakers that are out there that are going to be there at five. Now, you could argue it's too high to take one of those guys. I don't necessarily think it is. If you could get a Devontae Smith, if you could get a Jamar Chase, um, yep. you pair him with Boyd, with T. Higgins, and an over-the-top threat. And Drew Sample. Well, yeah, I mean, touchdown machine, Drew Sample. Uh, <laughs> well, well, even and to your, like, and I, I, I would like to trade back a little bit if I were to take somebody like the tight end from Florida, Pitts. Um, but I also have to if – if I'm taking a tight end, I have to have 100% confidence that Zach Taylor can use that tight end like the Chiefs use Kelsey. I mean, that that's the only way to do yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I think if you can get a wide receiver, you know, I, I, that's why the free agency piece is so important to get that taken care of. I do think, you know, you have guys like – I mean, Spain was serviceable um, and pretty decent, I thought, for the most part. Um, he he can play for you. Trey Hopkins, you know, okay. 
uh, at center. Now he tore his ACL, so that's probably going to be, it, be an issue. Uh, yeah, Billy Price is probably yeah. starting Minnesota um, next year. But if you can shore it up and then flip Jonah over to what his natural position, right? At what, right guard? Is that right? Right, right tackle. Right tackle. Um, you know, it takes one or two big name free agent signings on the offensive line, and you're in a decent spot. But aren't the free agents that that are out there that have been associated with the Bengals are mostly guards, or are there tackles that are on the market that would be shore up that left tackle position? I'm not sure. I have to look more into that. I know that there are tackles available, but the thing that's going to be difficult for like Trent Williams is contract is coming up, but I'm sure the 49ers are going to make every effort to resign him. Um, I think that, for so long it was assumed that the Bengals were going to pick third and Sewell was there. And so that now Sewell could still be there because of talents like Jamar chase. We don't need to get into all that, but to your point, chase, like Joe Tooney was a name that's been brought up. He's a, he was franchised last year by the Patriots or, um, and he's one of the best guards in the league. So I think that if you could get one bona fide guard and then, through some combination of Xavier Suofilo and Quentin Spain, let those two figure out that other guard spot. And Michael Jordan is nothing more than a reserve player. Um, then you can figure out what to do. Cause they could also take a tackle. The um, they could get like a Jamar chase in the first round. And then maybe they get um, a Jalen Mayfield from Michigan in the second round. Uh, Alex Leatherwood from Alabama is another name that that's probably around in the top of the second round. Then at that point, you're you may be leaving Jonah at left tackle, and um, this person plays right tackle. But where the Bengals will be picking in the second round is you're, yeah. you can still get a very good talent um, for the for the offensive line. And then the other option, which this team doesn't do, I know, but uh, trading back to twelve to 15 and then getting a tackle and getting some extra picks um, is really appealing to me. I'm a nerd. I do those simulation mock drafts. Um, and lately I, I last week, one day I did like three or four of them. And I mean, I was, I, I traded back to the point where I, I my first pick yeah. was 30th. Um, but I picked up a, a first round pick next year. and I, I ended up getting 10 or 12 picks in this draft. Um, point being, that if they could trade back into the middle of the first round, they could maybe get the Slater kid from Northwestern. They could maybe get Darasaw, who's a tackle from Virginia Tech, um, but then also pick up a little yeah, I guess draft capital. The thing to me is you got to sign at least one. You have to sign at least one good offensive lineman in free agency, but I almost feel like if you really want to set yourself up for success, you got to sign two uh, because – you know, you got Jonah Williams, you got, say you got Spain, and then uh, Hopkins when he comes back. But you need another guard, and you need somebody at left tackle, whether that's a, a free agent or I guess you keep Jonah there and get a right tackle or maybe Fred Johnson. Some I don't know. I just don't feel good about it. But you, no. I, I think if you, if you only get one offensive lineman um, – Offensive line early in the draft is still an option, but I think if you can get, if you can sign two legitimate offensive linemen free agents, then that just opens up the board for you. Whether you go, 
because I'm honestly to the point where I want that pick to be Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase, and let's just give Burrow all the weapons he can. But he has to have an offensive line in front of him. The other way that you could go, and I don't know who the edges out there are, but the defensive line, even if you get DJ Reader back, like you still need two or three more pieces on there that you don't have right now. Yep. And if they don't find Will Jackson, you doubt. probably need another cornerback too. Yeah. Um, I think the corner can be from a third or fourth round pick. I think that the edge could be also, you know, the Bengals have had some success in the second, third and fourth rounds with uh, some edge guys, Sam Hubbard, is in that group. Um, I mean, Dunlap was Lawson a second round pick, top of the second round. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, it, it there's definitely needs, which also talks about if you if you can trade back a little bit. There's not there's not an edge guy at five that I think is really uh, there, there's no dominant edge guy in this draft, like a Bosa brother or Chase Young, basically. Ohio State didn't pr- produce a top five <laughs> defensive end this year. What the fuck? I mean, uh, okay. I think I think I, think I know where Matt stands on this, point. but to me, if based on what we saw in Burrow was on the field this year, and I understand the offensive line wasn't good, so they weren't great at rushing, but Taylor wants to throw the ball when Burrow's in there. So even if they can run the ball, you got to figure they're still going to throw 30 to 40 times a game. And to me, you go out and you say, I got Tyler Boyd, I got T. Higgins, I got um, Tate as my fourth receiver. I'm going out and I'm I'm getting Smith or I'm getting Jamar Chase, and I'm just saying, fuck you guys, figure out how to cover me because you can't. And if you can, then I'm going to sh- shove Joe Mixon down your throat. Uh, I like that strategy. I really yeah. do. No, I, I agree completely. I think that um, this offseason is going to be really, really telling. Um, the Bengals' opponents have been revealed. When the schedule comes out, it'd be really nice if, say, the Jets were one of your first three or four games. Maybe also the uh, the Jaguars are on the front five or six games of the schedule, just so you kind of can get the ball rolling a little bit um but agreed try to out like just let's just outscore some teams like the defense is going to be what it's going to be and and like honestly if you if the Bengals took this draft and this free agency to overhaul the offensive line and then give Joe Burrow weapons next year in the draft you could you could dedicate the draft to basically defense um and worry about that at that time. Um, so certainly an interesting offseason coming up for the Bengals, which we'll we'll get into. I mean, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, every time we do this because uh, it's the NFL. It's a year-round sport. So um, I, I saw something any- on uh, Bleacher Report today about the Bengals, and it's like, you know, we're sitting here talking about this, and we're getting excited again. The Bengals just went four and eleven and one after they went two and fourteen, and I keep thinking to myself, "What kind of idiot am I for cheering for this team?" Because there was a, a somebody tweeted that it was 
Today, either today or yesterday, was the 30-year anniversary of the last time the Bengals won a playoff game. Yeah. It was yesterday. Um, yeah, I mean, but I think they're going to win a playoff game, multiple playoff games. With I mean, I, I hope you're right, Sox, but I would have thought the same thing with Carson Palmer. That's yep. fair. Um, Carson Palmer, did he win a playoff game with the Cardinals? I don't know. I can't remember. Um, that ended in a different way because of Carson Palmer, too, though, to be completely fair. Um, okay, moving on. Let's talk a little bit about last night's Xavier-St. John's matchup. Which the Muskies won. I think the final score was. You would remember that they scored sixty nine um, points. Carson Palmer did win one <laughs> playoff game. There you go. Um, so X was kind of sloppy last night. Nineteen turnovers. Um, but I'll tell you my biggest takeaway, and I'll, I'll get your guys' thoughts. Um, was the performance of Colby Jones. Because as we talked about on this podcast last week, we didn't think that – well, I mean, I flat out said this team isn't going to win games if they're not making shots. And last night they didn't make a single three-point field goal, which was the first time they won a game oh. since 2000 um, without making a three-point shot. But they were able to do that last night because of the play of Colby Jones, who scored 16. Um, and he had – Colby Jones had a really even performance, eight in the first half, eight in the second – he was finding the spots to get little floaters. He scored in a variety of ways, obviously, with the exception of hitting a three-pointer. Um, but was super impressed by him and his presence on the to kind of get the buckets when they needed him. Um, so let's start off with Matt. Matt, what was your uh, what are your thoughts on last um, night's Muskie game? I think it was imperative that. Uh, they won the game uh, first and foremost. I mean, that game, you couldn't afford a loss in that situation. So that was good. Um, I don't know that they beat anyone else in the Big East last night, to be perfectly honest. Um, just the way St. John's kind of handed them the ball going down the stretch there multiple times. Um, but um, on a positive side, like I said, Colby Jones was, was very good. I thought Brian Griffin – um, was very, very good. He continues to surprise me and impress me um, coming off the bench, especially when your best player is a complete no-show for basically the third straight game. Um, and so, you know, I think it was important to get the win. I, they just – they have to start – getting back on track and making shots. And I think the only way that's going to happen is just hopefully they can get into a groove of playing games um, because, you know, that we've seen it now three straight games where they just have been throwing up bricks consistently and they struggled to score. And, um, you know, I think the other takeaway that I had was I thought minus a few – really careless turnovers, which is what he tends to have. I thought Jason Carter played a really solid, solid game, having 16 rebounds. Um, again, a few careless turnovers, and would really like to see him make 
foul shots, but um, I don't think they win that game without him on the floor for as many minutes as he was out there last night. So I was happy to see him have a good game based on the amount of crap that he has gotten uh, over the last couple games. So, yes. Exactly. We love you, Phil. <laughs> um, I think that I think that uh, the depth on this team. It, it, this is kind of a, a both sides of the sword. Um, one of the things we talked about earlier in the year was this team's not going to go through shooting slumps because there's so many guys that can shoot it. Well, obviously that hasn't worked out, but the depth on this team was important last night because those turnovers that you mentioned by St. John's at the end of the game. Yeah. I think they got tired, and I think that X being able to fully rotate in four or five guys, like X was pretty fresh down the stretch, and with that final group that finished basically the last eight or nine minutes of the game, Jason Carter, Brian Griffin, Scruggs. Colby Jones, Dwan Odom. Oh, that's interesting. Odom. Um, Odom was outstanding, was, too. I'm sure Brian bring him up. That's his boy. Yeah. Brian? Yeah, so I, I think I took two things from last night. Um, Jason Carter, for all of his warts, I think he he has a toughness that Fremantle hasn't developed yet that he needs to develop. Uh, I mean, some of the rebounds that he was getting in the second half, it was like, how did he come down with that? Um, but uh, to me, the biggest thing is, and I said this in our group text, it's just, I don't know about you guys, but I feel... I feel comfortable when Odom's on the floor bringing the ball up, when he's facilitating the offense. When he's not on the floor, we just seem like a different team. So um, I think him and Colby Jones will see a lot more playing time going forward. You know, we're not going to shoot over 12. Well, I, I, I'd be shocked if we win another game the whole year without making a three, but um, I, I think you saw, and maybe still just playing the hand, but I think you saw how much he trusts Odom and Jones this early in their career uh, last night. And I think the rotation should be tightened. Um, you know, I don't know what Ben Stanley's condition is coming out of the game, but I really like a three-big rotation of Griffin, Fremantle, and uh, Carter. And then on the outside – you basically have Odom, Scruggs, um, and uh, Colby Jones, and then whoever the hot hand is that night between, you know, the three shooters, Kunkel, Johnson, and, and Kiki. But for me, the takeaway was Dwan Odom needs to be on the floor 30 minutes a game, and Colby Jones needs to be close to that too. Well, I think that um... – they could do some interest if, if the lineup that we just talked about, like, I don't care if that's the starting lineup. I'm totally fine with that. I think that Fremantle could potentially offer you something outstanding coming off the bench as an energy guy. We know he's energetic. We know he's passionate. We know he's a little bit crazy. Um, and so maybe that's a good way for Travis to try to get him involved in the game uh, on Sunday at Providence because, or Providence at home. I don't know where that game is. Um, but against Providence that just try something different because it's crazy how ineffective he's been, but it's not just not scoring a bunch of points. It's 
turnovers. It's careless turnovers. It's just kind of silly things, not being strong with the ball. Um, and then Tandy, I don't know what's going on with him right now. Um, it's, 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 it's hard to watch what um, you expect a guy to come in and just kind of start making shots and getting buckets. And um, it seems like his confidence yeah. is really shaken. So it'll be interesting to see what, and I think that Providence is a good, this is Providence is probably a team that's right on the same level as Xavier when it's all said and done. I think X should win, but I always think that. Um, yeah. I, I am interested in you guys take team. on Tandy because <clears throat> I, um, it's, it's gotta be hard for him to come in and it, it seems like the expectation the last couple of games is if he doesn't make his first couple shots, he's just not going to play. And I don't think that like that's not a good position to be in as a player. No, I agree. No. Uh, but I guess the problem is <laughs> who would you like? Which of these guards are you going to substitute minutes for right now that are that are playing? Uh, because Colby and Dwan Odom at least provide something defensively that Kiki can't. I, well, I mean, a I, liability. I, I completely agree with you on that but I also look at the fact that um you know nothing against Kunkel or Jones but or Johnson sorry um they haven't exactly been lighting the world on fire and they're still getting 17 to 20 or 15 to 20 minutes a game and you know I could maybe buy that Nate Johnson is a better defender than Kiki Tandy but you can't sell me that Kunkel's a better defender. So I, I, think, I what, think it's just hard. I think the problem is it's hard to get 10 guys legitimate sure. minutes in a game. Like, ideally, your rotation should be eight to nine guys. I think it was last night when it got – when it, I mean, the last 10 minutes of the game, he played, what, six guys, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean his rotation last night, Kiki played three minutes. Other than that, it was nine guys. Yeah, and you didn't see Kunkel or Johnson on the floor the last 10 minutes, I would think, 10, 11 minutes. Yeah. And so I think it's just going to come down, yeah. like you said, unfortunately, with as many guys as they have, it's just going to come down to who's playing well on that particular day. And realistically, I just don't know where you're going to find the 15 minutes for Kiki in the Big East with how he plays defense. Like, truthfully, I, I don't know unless you <laughs> – I don't know. Because he, he doesn't provide anything defensively. Not not to say that Nate Johnson does, um, but at least they've shown that they can – I mean, Kunkel was a starter for four years at Belmont, and they were a tournament team, or two years at Belmont, and they were a tournament team. Like, he's – they were good teams. He's shown that he can play at a high level. I don't know that Kiki has yet, and it might be unfair because he's not getting a lot of minutes, but when he's out there for a while, you definitely notice him defensively, at least if you're paying attention. Especially yeah, although I don't know. I would say I, I do think he's gotten the last couple games he's been better because I've specifically yeah. been watching him on defense to see what's he, what he's doing. Um, 
I think it's just tough uh, because I don't think the coaches know what the best combination is yet. So it's like, uh, you know, I can, uh, I'm sure I, I can attest. It's It's got to be just so frustrating and so difficult if you come in for a two or three minute stretch in a game like you can't get in the flow of a game in that in that period and and that's the problem when you have a rotation that's 10 or 11 guys like it just it doesn't work right well and i think last night's game specifically is is also a good example it's hard to come into a game for three minutes when the pace is that pace and when the pressure that St. John's applies on the defensive end is that because that's a game that you really need to get a feel for and well and especially when you know that three minutes starts at the 11 55 mark when you've been sitting on the bench for real time 20 minutes like you know so I don't know I mean I think we we all agree here the the ideal rotation is eight to nine guys and Xavier has arguably, if you include Deontay Miles and C.J. Wiltshire, they got 12 guys that maybe you think should see some minutes. But, like, you can't play 12 guys. You, you can't even play 10 guys, I, I don't right. think, unless your 10th your guy understands that, hey, I'm the 10th guy and I'm going to play five minutes a game. But when I look at the 10 guys that played last night, None of those 10 guys think they're the 10th man. All of those 10 guys think I should be a, a starter, essentially. Yeah. Well, and you have – you're right. But you also have a situation where you didn't expect Kunkel – you weren't planning on Kunkel being on available to this year's team. And then Stanley, you were planning on him being available. But um, he wasn't for those first few weeks. The other thing is, is I don't think this team expected – Griffin to come in and earn the minutes that he's earned. I think that they thought that Fremantle would play 30 minutes a game and Griffin would come in and play four, just spell him here and there, four to eight minutes. Then once Stanley's eligible, it's like, okay, well, we can split the the 10 minutes that Zach Fremantle's on the floor between these Mm -hmm. two guys. But Griffin has earned the minutes with toughness. And Stanley's earned the minutes in a weird way where he doesn't ever pass the ball, but he makes most of his shots. I think the other thing that we have to keep in mind is the fact that this is kind of, I mean, it's uncharted territory for the head coach too, right? I mean, he's been hamstrung. He's been hamstrung the last two years with a roster that is lacking talent. Right. And now he's got too much. And now he's got too much. It's in a season where they, have had to go on pause after starting eight and zero, and they're finding their groove. And then, you know how how different does that does this season? Not the season, because obviously it's so young. But how different does the team look if they don't have that ten day pause? And you know you have a consistent schedule of playing two games a week, which is normal. And now you have a week off, a week on, a week off, and it's just. I mean, that's got to be difficult to figure out the rotations. And, you know, they went eight days in the middle of the season without practicing. And, you know, it just has to be difficult. Right. That's a great point, Matt. And I I kind of wanted to say something about that in regards to the Bengals. The Bengals made it through the season almost completely unscathed as far as COVID was concerned. Um, And – it just is interesting that then 
three weeks into the Xavier season, they have a pause. And then after their pause, Xavier's been quote unquote healthy, but then they've had this Villanova game canceled twice. It just, that's not good for a team that has all these new pieces and is trying to figure things out. What's everybody drinking tonight? I have an athletic brewery upside down ale, non-alcoholic, doing a little dry, you know, kicking off this kicking off the year, right? We're seven days in. Well, we're going to we're going for seven days in. There might be a cheat day Monday night when the Buckeyes play. We'll see. I am not sober, and I am drinking (laughs) Samuel Adams right now. But I've also had uh, a couple glasses of Weller. I had a glass of, uh, I think it's called Legend. No, I'm going to have to figure out what it is. It was another bourbon. Um, yes. Legion? Uh, it, was, it was very I've smooth. Never had that. It was I've good. I it. liked it. Um, cool. So that's where I'm at. I'm having Weller. Um, I was very much not sober for last week's podcast. Um, and... I'm a little more Bring tame. Drunk shirt back. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, never, never got any kind of response to that. So oh. obviously, that person. So I guess your socks again. All right. Yep. Fair enough. It, um. So, so we have a slate. Hey, a full slate. Hold on before we before we weekend. leave the uh, college basketball yeah. topic. Please. Can we talk about the fact that the Bearcats won at SMU tonight? 76-69. I looked at the score. uh, It was probably 10 minutes left in the second half, and they were down by six or seven. And I am shocked that they came back and won. But looking at the box here, um, all of the guys that at least in points, were the leaders. You got Eason, freshman, Micah Adams, Wood, sophomore, Davenport, sophomore, Harvey, sophomore, Keith Williams, senior, obviously, but um, Voight, or Vote, however you say his name, literally his stat line is 0.0 rebound, zero assist. So I don't know how, oh, only eight minutes, but like, I don't know. Um, Maybe they are starting to figure things out. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like SMU is probably not the easiest place to to win. They were six and one before tonight. I don't know who they played, but good for them. That's a nice win in the sense that they were really, really, really struggling. I saw the score at halftime and they were losing. Um, and I forgot to check on it again. But obviously, any win for them is good for. X because X has that win over them. Um, I think it's interesting that Jeremiah Davenport is, I think that he was like a roster filler kind of guy when they took him. He went for 18 and Um, 10 tonight. And he's, well, yeah, he's been a nice win. Also breaking news is that Michigan and Jim Harbaugh are close to a five-year contract extension. He's getting ready to sign supposedly. How do you feel about that? Soxie. Yeah, uh, I feel like that news has been 
breaking has been I think it's finally finally uh, finally so, becoming official. Well, um, I don't. I mean, I don't really know what to think about that. I think that uh, the 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 hardest part about Jim Harbaugh at Michigan is who are you going to get um, to replace him? And the the only name that kind of makes a little bit of sense to me is Matt Campbell uh, from Iowa State, who did a really good job. But yeah. he's also not that proven. So um, it's it is what it is. I. The, the the lacking part of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan has been the quarterback, and he's got a five star coming in, and maybe they just tear it up and say, "Look, from day one, this kid's going to start," and maybe by the time he's a sophomore or a junior, he can be leading them to something more than they've done so far. I also know that they 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 got rid of the defensive coordinator who uh, dominated every team they played except for the good ones. Um, Ohio State always had their way with Don Brown's defenses, and then they never did much in bowl games against other elite talent. So uh, that should be interesting to see who they're able to get on that side of the ball. Michigan's recruited well um, under Harbaugh, but Ohio State's just a different animal right now. Uh, They're getting so much talent on both sides of the ball, and – Everyone in the Big Ten. I mean, this isn't just a Michigan problem. Everyone in the Big Ten is. It is kind of amazing to me, though. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm the the UC fan, UC football fan here on this podcast. So I, I mean, we're a good football team, but we're not. When we're at our best, we're not Michigan or Ohio State. Obviously, the thing that is surprising to me with the whole Michigan thing is that Harbaugh has not been able to put a good quarterback up at Michigan yet because it, it just seems like you got a guy here that's coached Andrew Luck on the college level. He's be, he's coached a professional team to the Super Bowl. How is he not able to get legit quarterback prospects to a place that draws 110,000 people to every college football game? It, it's, it befuddles me, to be honest. Well, I, I, in knowing the program like I do, he does get good talent. It's been a development problem more than anything. Um, you know, Christian McCaffrey's little brother was a backup that was competing for the job this year. He was a four-star. Joe Milton was a four-star. McCaffrey was a borderline five-star. McCaffrey um, left, though, right? So they've Didn't had the players. It's just uh, – yeah, he, he opted out and is transferring, which – right. I don't know if he opted out and transferred because he thought he was going to lose the job to Milton. Um, but it's a great, it's a great question why they can't get a Doesn't good it, signal I caller. Mean, it has to do with style though, right? I mean, you know, I feel like Michigan just is, and I could be wrong. I don't watch them a, a lot, but you just look around the country. It just seems like they run an old school and I, again, I could be wrong. It seems like they run an old school NFL offense of, you know, line up in a high formation and go for Yeah, They I, used I to pull know. back a little bit, but they've changed that in the last two years. They have, they have a co- offensive coordinator that was a co-offensive coordinator at Alabama, Josh Gaddis, who 
preaches speed and space. And Michigan has been recruiting a different kind of wide receiver. Uh, for a long time, Michigan was recruiting yeah. the the Braylon Edwards of the yeah. world, the big, tall, strong kids that are going to play in the pros. Whereas the last few years, they've been recruiting kids that are five ten, six foot, that can you know the kind of jitterbug kind of athlete. Um, the other thing in Michigan that's frustrating is, and Ohio State does this too, but Michigan has some really talented running backs, um, which eventually they're they're going to just start leaving the program because they're going to have next year. If they're all there, they're going to have four really talented running backs. Um, Cause they got another four star. He was one of the top running backs in the nation this year coming in. Yeah. So uh, next year. Uh, so I don't know. It'll be interesting. They need, they definitely need help with, with players. Well, and it's going to be there too. Cause I mean, well, not necessarily there, but Ohio state loses a ton from this year's team. Now, granted, they have a top recruiting class coming in, so who, you know, who knows what that means? But um, Ohio State is loaded with seniors, and obviously some right. underclassmen who are going to go pro. And then you have a little bit of an unproven coach there in terms of keeping the program going. I mean, he's done obviously a good job, but uh, a great job. But can he continue the trajectory while it's his own program? If that makes sense, which I think he can, but. It's an unproven. 100%. It's unproven. And I think that the Big Ten's interesting because um, can Indiana sustain it? Michael Penix is a young quarterback, so Tom Allen's got them headed in a great direction. And then you have to wonder about Penn State because uh, they were expected to do a lot more than they did this year with uh, St. Xavier High School product. Sean Clifford at quarterback, uh, who it would seem would be returning to Penn State. The Bearcats will be interesting. Yeah, I mean, too, Brian. Uh, if Ritter comes I, back, yeah, that's the biggest Freeman one. Comes back, that's comes big, back. Big, big, I can't big imagine one. where Ritter's going unless he's going to. He's not playing football if he's leaving this year. Um, he's really. Been talked about as a fourth or fifth round pick. Yep. Well, I think it's based on yeah. It's based on projection. It's not hey, we're going to draft this guy and he's going to be our our guy. But he's he's a big kid, surprisingly quick. He's athletic. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, we've we've been down this path. The disappointing thing for UC is until there's an 18 playoff, they're not going to have a shot and. Yeah, you can go play in the Peach Bowl, and it's you know it's fun. You compete, and you should have won the game, but it doesn't really mean anything, you know. Yeah. I'd rather go. I, I I guess the thing that frustrates me is like, you know, and, and obviously the way that the final rankings came out, which I think the rankings are BS to be honest. Like, um, UC wouldn't have even been in it if if it wasn't their game. It would have been Texas A and M or whoever. But like, you. You can't sit here and tell me that UC would have been any worse against Alabama than Notre Dame was. Um, I don't think they would have won the game, obviously, but I also don't think they get beat by 50 points. I think they, you know, they lose by 20 points or so. Like, um, so I don't know. It, it, it's just kind of frustrating to be on the outside looking in and feeling like you don't even have a chance. 
Sure. I understand that totally. Um, but what UC did this year was put themselves on that map and they got into a new year's six bowl or whatever those are called. And with returning pieces and more development and another year for Luke fickle, probably, um, if they start next year inside the top 10, well, they have the schedule um, next year too. They go at and, Indiana at Notre Dame. So yeah, they'll have opportunities, which they didn't have this year. Yeah. So, so, okay. So here's a question for you Absolutely. guys. Good um, if you're a Luke fickle, what jobs are you leaving for at this point? Cause he's already turned down Michigan state. So it's not, and, and that obviously was where D'Antonio went from UC and then the next guy, Kelly, went to Notre Dame. And then you got Butch Jones, went to Tennessee. Tuberville got fired. But um, I think at UC, what he's shown is you can you can be a legitimate top 10 team. And if the playoff ever expands, you've got a chance to get in. So to me, and, and I'm biased here because I'm a UC football fan. Uh, right. But to me, if you're Luke Fickle, there's really only a, you know, five to ten jobs that I'm leaving for, that are the upper echelon jobs in college football. That I, I don't know if or when they're coming open, but um, that, that's my perspective. I, I don't know. What do you guys think? I I tend to agree with you. I think that there has been in the last five years there's probably been a little bit of a shift as far as coaches being a little bit more wise to run and grab the job at a low rung sec school, because they're only going to be there for three or four years. And then they're going to get ran out of town for somebody else to come in and be there for three or four years. It's happened Mm -hmm. to Tennessee since Butch Jones, basically. Um, it's happened with right, I mean, which, Brett Bielema left. I didn't understand Wisconsin that. Arkansas. Like what a stupid thing to do. No, I didn't understand it at the time. And obviously it played out to the fact that it was a dumb thing to do. Um, I, I think that Jimbo Fisher's got something rolling at A&M, but um, that's always going to be hard when you have LSU and Alabama in your division. But the, I, it's a great question. And I also would say, I don't know, maybe some of the those Pac-12 jobs are – I think the Pac-12 is just kind of screwed because they're most of the time on the outside looking into the playoff too. So what's the point of leaving a group yeah. of five for a power five when you still – Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Um, you just look – kind of like you said, Brian, what's going to be open, right? I mean, you never know, but you could see, you know, maybe reuniting out at USC potentially with the AD out there who was at UC. Right. You know, obviously a massively different job, but that's one thing that just kind of jumps to mind. If they go 11 and one next year and play Helton gets fired. I mean, you would think he'll be at the top of any list for a major job opening. So, right. Especially that's a great point with the AD out there too. I think that um, this off season, we've already seen that Texas made a really I mean, freaking Texas. This is one of the richest places in college football. This is a brand. They hired Steve Sarkeesian, who 
has had two head coaching jobs, got ran out of one of them for being a drunk. Um, I guess he's cleaned his life up and he went through the Nick Saban rehabilitation coach program. Um, like a lot of guys right have, now. Kiffin being one. Um, yeah. And um, it's, but yeah, Texas. Hired, I, I, I know. I was shocked when I, mean, I that's, saw that's that. That's a risky hire. Uh, and I, that that ties into something that we said on the group a long time ago when we were talking about Jim Harbaugh. You asked me who I would have replaced him, and I, I listed the top four college coaches. And that wasn't from a I don't understand Michigan's place in college football. That was from a completely monetary standpoint, like Michigan has the money. But I think this Texas thing just shows you that yeah. it's freaking well, I hard. Think- to 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 crack into the the Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and I would absolutely well, put Oklahoma even Clemson, in that group with Lincoln Riley. They've been on a roll. Uh, even Clemson and, like they have and Alabama, it's, stranglehold. it's all about just finding who the right coach is because um, Clemson had Tommy Bowden for a long time, and they were yeah they were good, but they were not anywhere close to what they are now, and. And Alabama, you know, they had obviously Bear Bryant historically, but then until Saban got there after his stint with the Dolphins, like who cared about Alabama in college football? Like Alabama wasn't the team in the SEC. They were a middle of the pack team. And and then Saban got there and they've been dominant. Yeah. An interesting thing and, and, and credit due for, for sure to Ohio State for the transition from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. And as Matt, you already said, there's still something to be proven as far as longevity. But um, that transition is really difficult in college football to stay in that top rung. And yeah. credit due also to Oklahoma from – yeah. Bob yeah. Stoops to Lincoln but Ohio Valley, State, what's interesting to Lincoln me Valley. is they've, at least as far as I can tell, they've um, they've improved under each coach successfully because Jim Tressel was extremely successful up there. And then you bring in Urban Meyer, and he was even better. And I know Ryan Day is only a couple years in, but – I mean, based on the first couple of years, you can't say that Ryan Day hasn't been better than Urban Meyer, in my opinion, especially if he wins on, on Monday. If he wins on Monday, there's no doubt that he's been better, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree. If he wins Monday, I think that like right. automatically puts him in like the top five of current college football coaches, and he's only been there two years. Right. Just, I mean, he's won, he'll be 25-1, and one and – two years with two college football playoff appearances and a national title. That's, that's pretty strong. Replacing, replacing a guy like Urban Meyer. Very, very strong. So anyway. All right. Now where we were going somewhere and then I derailed us because I brought us back to Bearcat basketball and then we got on to college football. So where were, where were you taking us socks? Um, I was going to 
keep us on this topic and say who you got Monday night, OSU, Alabama. I've got Alabama currently as a seven and a half point favorite. Um, I didn't think about this before we jumped on here. Now, hold on. Um, did we, did, NFL picks, did anybody but, pick Alabama, Ohio state? I think everybody had Alabama Clemson, right? Yeah. Correct. Uh, um, I think seven ahead. and a half is a half a point too many. So I'm going to, I think Alabama will win the game. I think it's going to be a really entertaining game. Um, but I, I think it'll be high scoring. I, I think like 38, 31. Um, Alabama seems about right to me. I just, I don't think Ohio State will have enough defensively to really slow down Alabama as much as they'll need to um, to win the game. I, I hope I'm wrong. I think it's going to be a really good game. Um, I, I don't know that Ohio State can put up that type of performance that they did on Friday night again. So you could tell that, you could tell that there was a little extra motivation in that game. And not to say they won't have motivation playing for a national title, but that game meant a heck of a lot more than just beating Clemson in a final four, if that makes sense. I mean, you could, you could tell that there was some, some personal sort of feelings involved from Ohio state in that room. Okay. I have a problem with that whole statement. Like, if you are not motivated not to play in a national semifinal game, like, and, and this, like I've given, I've given, but I've given credit here. And this is a, this is oh, a, this is a personal, as we just talked about me being a Michigan fan, but uh, um, I think Ohio state for, for the large faction of fan base is the most sensitive fan base in the nation. When it comes to, we got okay. disrespected, we, this, that, the other thing. And I think that, it's it's fine if you want to turn this whole Ohio State thing into he disrespected us. Okay, um, but I think that Dabo Sweeney, all he I'm, this is to the Ohio State Nation because obviously Matt, you're, you're talking about something else. But the the Ohio State thing about being disrespected and being ranked 11th, that was about a team that was six and zero versus a team that was eleven and one or a team that was whatever and. It, it had nothing to do with Ohio State in itself. And if you want to use that as a motivation for your fan base to get fired up and, and hate a guy or whatever, that's fine. But at the same time, yeah. like, you're in the, the national – you're in the final four. Like, can you not be motivated by the fact that you're that you're there? And my point about the 6-0 and thing – and obviously Ohio State deserved to be there. They're obviously one of the top four teams in the country. And – We've known that since day one because they were a top five team to begin the year with Justin Fields coming back and everything. But it also does make some sense to Dabo's point that it's a lot easier to get through a six-game schedule unscathed than it is to get through a 12-game schedule unscathed. And his, in my opinion, I, I can't speak for the man, obviously, but in my opinion, that was just a huge shot at the Big Ten for the complete mishandling of this no, entire I, I'm not going to disagree about anything about ranked. being ranked 11th. I think that is completely over. But my 
point about them being motivated is the fact that every time they've stepped onto a practice field or their training facility since New Year's Day of last year, there's been a scoreboard that says Clemson 29, Ohio State 23, everywhere they go in their facility. Because right or wrong, okay, they lost, not right or wrong, they lost the game last year. But again, right or wrong, they felt they were the better team and they felt that they got some bad calls in that game. And they felt they should have won. Now, my point in saying it was personal is that they've been Mm -hmm. working towards playing Clemson since New Year's Day of last year. Like that, they've wanted that matchup since for 365 days. And and so that is where I'm getting at. I don't care about the alliance stuff. Okay. Like they wanted to get revenge for last year's game. And that I think was made pretty evident. Like, like you listen, like you listen the post the Absolutely. post game I, and like I assume and that's what I'm saying. I don't think like, they can muster up that sort of motivation in eight days like they have for 365, if that makes sense. Like like they, they you talk about like Ryan Day it in that post game after the game, like he was emotional, like they all were really fired up because they <laughs> they wanted to get revenge for last year's game was my whole point of that. That's Totally fair, and I get that. And I didn't even—I didn't know that about the the score. That's that's another thing about Clemson that I didn't realize, um, having not watched a lot of their games this year, yeah. but also having not watched there wasn't really many any non con or yeah any non conference or out of conference games. Was I'm used to, and I think obviously Vegas was used to Clemson and Ohio State, but Clemson having a defense that is producing NFL talent on the defensive line and in the secondary and Ohio Justin Fields played unbelievably. Uh, he hit two through two amazing deep balls, but, and you're used to the same from Ohio state as far as defensive goes on the defensive line and in the secondary, but Clemson's defense was not very good. Um, and Ohio state got those couple stops early and that's all yep. they needed because then they just kept scoring. Mm. Chase, what do you got? So, <laughs> no. Or do you have thoughts so, on what we were just talking about? You can you can have thoughts on that too. <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting into the list. He's like, but I would say <laughs> my brother called me out. He was like, "Oh, so you picked Clemson? I think I said 42-31. And I'm I'm just thinking about this. Ohio State looks so good. Yeah. Special guest from a couple Shout of years out ago. Chase to listen in for the podcast. Um, yeah, we can do that. Um, <laughs> but they just look—they looked so good on Friday. But I was looking back through Alabama scores, or Alabama the the scores of Alabama's games, and uh, I think their game against Notre Dame was the first time that they haven't scored forty points this year. It's so when I look at years, that, yeah. Yeah, when I look at that, I'm like and, – and then I was looking to see, okay, well, how is Ohio State's defense done? And the first couple games, they weren't great, but the last couple games, they've they've been good. But other than against Clemson, I don't really know what they were playing against. Um, 
So, I mean, if, if Ohio State plays like they did against Clemson, it's going to be really hard for Alabama to beat them, I think. I just don't know if they can do it again. Um, but I'll say the over is 75, and I think it's going to be over that. So I will say – I'm going to say Alabama 42, Ohio State 39. And also, as a a side note to this, did anybody do more for their draft stock than Justin Fields did in that semifinal game against Clemson? He was unreal. I mean, honestly, he I think was, what that does is it, it opens up. He was very tough for too. the Bengals. The possibility that uh, the tackle from Morgan is still there, because you got Fields, you got obviously you got Lawrence, and then you got the kid from BYU. So there's three quarterbacks. My understanding is the Falcons don't need uh, an offensive lineman, and maybe they take a quarterback, but I, I don't know. It, he, he was sliding down the board, and I think he saved himself with that game against Clemson. What the Dolphins do at three will be interesting. I agree with you. Um, the Dolphins could trade out of that and to a quarterback needy team. Um, and I the, the Dolphins invested a lot in their offensive line in last year's draft, so they – may not take a penny stool, but I don't know. That's another another podcast another day. Uh I'm gonna say I'm just gonna be different. Uh Alabama forty two, Ohio State twenty eight. Which doesn't sound that close, but I think that I think the game will be pretty close. Um I could see this being like a late touchdown kind of situation for Alabama to make it a 14 point game. But I think it's going to be, I think it's going right, to be. So a you got 42, 28. I got 42, 39. What did Matt have? Uh, 38, 31. So you guys have OSU covering. I don't. Usually when I go against I, you guys, I, it's I am not really excited well. that that's uh, the matchup. I mean, but, obviously as an Ohio state fan, we'll that awesome, but oh. It's just be different than you know, like Alabama, Clemson, or you know, seeing not seeing Clemson in the title game will be fun. Now, this is part of the problem with being drunk on this podcast. I know that's kind of the point of the whole thing, but I had a comment I was going to make earlier, and I completely forgot it. And then when Matt said, "Oh, I'm an Ohio State fan," <laughs> it came right back to the forefront. <laughs> in Cincinnati, like literally, I, I feel like we deal with the harshest most like sensitive fans in the country because we have from a college football perspective we have a lot of ohio state fans that are butt hurt over literally everything and then we we also have notre dame football fans which are likely even <laughs> worse than ohio state fans and then to top it off we've got kentucky basketball fans which i i don't know what's worse it's awful
I've long made that argument. Uh, and I think people, I don't know. I had an argument. With I mean, Matt probably disagrees because he like, falls oh, into like one of these hate like, groups no. that I'm going after. But like, oh, oh no, I, I stay fans are terrible, but I don't, I don't consider myself part of that my group. No, I would agree with you, Matt. And like the Ohio State fans that like live in Cincinnati, move to Columbus. Get the fuck out of here. Coverage down here, like it's. Well, first of all, it's twenty twenty one. Where are you lacking coverage? Like, do you need a, a freaking bad reporter on the Cincinnati Inquirer covering your team? Yeah. Like, there's a million. Anyway, blogs sorry, I, it, yeah, it just yeah. it was like very uh, clear clear to me at about you know. 30 minutes ago and then i you guys got in your whole argument about you were talking about harbaugh and i was like i lost it and then when matt said oh i'm an ohio state fan it came it came crystal clear again i like a geogumentary <laughs> oh well I'm matt, glad. you're more fun when you drink glad, yeah glad you got that off your chest yeah, I know. Um, i know okay so Truth hurts sometimes. It's all right. <laughs> wow. Um, well. <laughs> uh, so last, if, if we had podcasted last night, I would have been in rare form. Because uh, I started drinking before the Xavier game a little bit and then was drinking during the Xavier game. But uh, so as we talked about, full slate, of NFL games this weekend. And Chase, I figured we were going to, Matt and I kind of talked about this before you jumped on, but I have every game here. I have the line on every game. And rather than go through like an, each score, I figured we'd just pick a winner. All right. Um, and all right. So let's just get our gambling house in order right now. I'm. I won the Bengals bet. Yes, I won the Masters. <laughs> okay. And Matt, Matt won something. Correct. Right? Oh yeah, I don't remember. Reds or something. Yeah, something. I don't know. I right. owe you uh, at least one bottle. Reds? I think you only owe me one bottle right now. But then, so where do we stand on college football playoff? Because we both had. Yeah, I mean, Sox would be the only one that could win. Did you pick Alabama, Ohio State Sox? No, but he picked Alabama to cover. Or, and we picked them. No. Okay. So, college football's out. Basically. All right. So, how do we want to do this on NFL? Let's do – Well, I'm well, just trying to make sure is, that I can get smart, a Ryan, second bottle of bourbon. Making good decisions. Uh All right. Well, yeah. I like your confidence. I think we should do the entire NFL playoffs. And I have, I have this. So I have a tally for this weekend. Um, so we can just go through the playoffs and then points we'll for each a, game. We'll crown a champion, you so to speak. cover or um, whoever wins, right? So yeah, winner yeah. And, and spread. So we'll have to pick the spreads each the week, but we can and. Yeah, we'll do it each week. Yeah, right. 
You yeah. just can't go through the whole bracket right now and just go this week's games right. and do it again next week. Got it. Yeah. Um, having said that, I wrote down my picks before we, before just, we jumped on. Run through, run through um, each. I'd so say I just run through each yeah, game. Let's go each game. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. Um, so we're going to do in the order that they are being played. So Saturday, 1 o'clock. Colts at the Bills. Bills minus six. I have the Bills winning the game and the Bills covering the spread. (laughs) So Bills, Bills for me. I think you meant to say Bills, Bills, Bourbon, Bourbon, Bourbon. (laughs) All right. I'm I'm going uh, Bills, Bills also (laughs) on that one. Uh, I'll take Bills to win, Colts to cover. Nice. Okay. Uh, this is one of the few interesting games that I think there are. Uh, I think there's only three interesting games this week, but uh, Rams, Seahawks, Saturday at 440. Seahawks minus three and a half. Um, I'm going to go Seahawks winner. I'm going uh, Seahawks win, Seahawks cover. If I knew that Jared Goff was absolutely playing, I would take the Rams to win. But I'm going to take Seahawks to win and Seahawks to cover. Compelling Saturday night drama in our nation's capital. Um, Bucks, Tom Brady, and the Buccaneers at the Washington football team. Brady and the Bucks minus eight on the road. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Bucks. Bucks. I was tempted to go Bucks. Washington to cover. Yeah, I, I feel like line, but if I'm gonna there's a. A quarterback that's great at getting the ball out early against good defensive line. There's nobody better in the history of the NFL. So I'm going to go Tampa to win, Tampa to cover. Tampa to win, Washington to cover. Matt did it. All right. That takes us to Sunday. And Sunday is where I – there's a couple games that I really just have no clue. Um, and starting off with one of them, Sunday at 1 o'clock, the Ravens are visiting the Titans, and the Ravens are a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Ravens fresh off a absolute beating of the Cincinnati Bengals. I... There's interesting history between these two teams. The Titans won a playoff game against the Ravens last year, and the Titans beat the Ravens in the regular season this year. Having said that, I've changed my pick. Um, It's tough to beat a team 
three times, even though it's not the same season. So I'm going to go Ravens to win and cover. Yeah. This one's tough. Um, Yeah, this one's tough. This one's tough. Yeah, Baltimore's playing really well right now. Um, But the thing is, that's hard about Baltimore is Baltimore has been playing really well the last two years going into the playoffs, and the Chargers beat them two years ago in Baltimore. And I feel – And then last year, the Titans beat them in Baltimore. Like, the Titans are going to be able to run the ball on them. Can Tannehill do something? Or and yeah, oh, or can Matt's Matt's guy Tannehill can Lamar Jackson? Passer, by the way, you know, be more than a runner. Um, so this is literally just on the fly. I'm gonna go. So Baltimore's favored by three and a half. Uh. Yes. All right. I will go. You know what? I'm going to say. Tennessee is going to keep it rolling. Uh, Baltimore to cover. Wait, what? So what did you just say? Tennessee is going to keep it rolling. Baltimore to cover. That doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah, because Baltimore's favorite. <laughs> yeah, that actually doesn't I'm matter. confused. <laughs> Hashtag somebody's intoxicated and Hashtag somebody else is not. Uh, I will say, Amy Amy has some of that athletic brew. Okay, so and it's actually good. Yeah, that's good I which, one she, which one do you have right now? I was. This is the all-out stout. It's good. Okay. Um, she had like a, a coffee beer. That's really good. She had one that was like yellow and blue. It was more of like a that was the one I was, Yeah, it's it this upside down. Yes, one. it was pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. It's like a craft, non-alcoholic. It's not bad. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> let me restate. Nice. Uh, you know what? Fuck it. Baltimore to win and Baltimore to cover. All right, I'm gonna be a lone wolf in here. I will go with what I said the last couple of years. Until Lamar Jackson wins a playoff game, I will not pick him to win a playoff game. So Tennessee to win, Tennessee to obviously cover. I like it. Um, our biggest spread of the weekend. Bears at the Saints. Um, we have Saints minus nine and a half. There are some COVID questions surrounding the Saints. Not sure if Alvin Kamara is going to play at this point. Having said that, I'm still going. Yeah, I'm going Saints. Saints too. I just I'm inside Saints, in the dome. Like their offense is going to be too good. And based on what I saw against the Packers last week for the Bears, I, I just don't think. Jabritsky is the answer. 
I'm in agreement there. Saints, Saints. All right. And then this is the other one that I just have next to no feel for. Um, Browns at the Steelers, 815 on Sunday night. Steelers minus six. So these teams obviously matched up in week 17 of the regular season in a pivotal game for the Browns to get into the playoffs. And the Browns had some major wide receiver issues with COVID. Well, less so than they did against the Jets the prior week. But um, And then the Steelers didn't start quite a few people. And the Browns won a very close game. that They kind of led for most of the game. So I'm going to go Steelers to win. Is the Cleveland coaching staff in the clear or? Yeah, he's out. No. Okay. Then I will go Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, my, my hunch here is say Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, I think they've kind of hit – they're playing better. Last week, obviously, Ben didn't play. Uh, they didn't really need that game. Um, so I'll take Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. All right. That wraps it up for – um, there's not a ton of disagreement. There's enough, though. Um, so yeah. I guess that's all we got. Um, if uh, before we leave, we can do a uh, quick <laughs> WTF moment of the week, which there are some obvious ones. Uh, but uh. I'll steer clear of that and I'll just say what the fuck Bengals defense almost giving up um, an NFL record amount of rushing yards to the Ravens last week. Um, I'm glad that they didn't, they stopped them. Like I, I think it was like four yards short, which it wasn't that the Ravens ran out of time. The Bengals actually did stop them on a couple drives late in the game to hold them off from that record. <laughs> so uh, I guess it's really not what the fuck. It's what the fuck, Louie and Aruma. Why? Uh, my but, first uh, one. Uh, that's what I got. How about you, man? I'm just watching Sports Center or highlights of something. Um, Illinois and Northwestern played in basketball tonight, and Northwestern was winning by 15 at halftime. And they lost the game by 25 points. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that's like, what the fuck are we doing? Um, my one that I originally was going to have was so I'm trying to do, as we previously talked about, the no drink or just cut back in January. And um, my last drink was last Friday during the Ohio State Clemson game. You know, Saturday was fine, but. Sunday and Monday, I just had like a constant headache for two days. 
And the only thing that changed was I hadn't <laughs> been drinking alcohol, which I well, that's like nine months. Um, so I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> what is happening? So get back on the train. Yeah. Well, actually, your your headache, I can I can tell you yeah. what your headache is from. Uh, last Friday, you were drinking. Mm-hmm. 15 year Van Winkle. So, uh, yeah, that was good stuff. That's, that's good stuff. Just a headache of, man, so, I want to try this every fucking day. Um, <laughs> Chase. <laughs> well, okay. My WTF moment was Bearcats, Peach Bowl. They're up 21 to 19 at the point, at that point in time. It's, Third and two. There's a minute 28 left on the clock. They can throw the ball, try to get the first down, and game's over. Or you can run the ball if you get the first down, game's over. And if you don't get the first down, you're going to punt the ball with, what, 40 seconds left? And then Georgia's going to have to go the length of the field. Or not the length of the field, but they're going to have to get 40 yards and 30 seconds to kick a field goal and they do a play action pass and Ritter throws a pass 30 yards downfield WTF run the damn ball I think that you pointed out in the group text which is a good point about that play was if you if you know you're not going to go for it like then that's a bad play call. Like it's it's okay to have to take a shot, quote unquote. But um, I get frustrated in situations when teams. This is not that situation, but it's kind of that situation where when teams have like say it's second and right. twelve, and they try to get twelve. Like how about you get six? Because the defense is going to be playing back. How about you get? something to put yourself in a position for the next play. Yeah. So, but I would say kind of related, um, kind of the one thing about that UC game is just like, so I think that's all I got. Cincinnati sports, right? Like good. Literally choke it away. Lose at the end. Can't make a clutch play. Very much so. Um, Well, and I didn't watch the entire game. I watched the beginning and I watched the very end, but I wish I would have watched more in the middle because I think there were there were some plays that I heard people on the internet questioning as far as like uh yeah, play calling and Yeah, I don't well, know if it was poor play calling but, or poor execution, again, but I don't, I don't I mean, really the, have UC's the framework to... in the second half was uh not good. Leave it at that. All right. Well, and the podcast. Unless you guys have any uh, anything else to get off your chest, I think that's it. Those are the words, the magic words. We'll talk to you. We was, we got disrespected a little bit before the game. 
guys calling us out. We're a tougher team. We're grown men over here. We got a whole bunch of gangsters in the locker room. Not thugs, but tough guys on the court. And we went out there and zipped them up at the end of the game. That's our motto, zip them up. And that's what we just did to them. But what do you think? It's right after you were in a, had an at-bat. You didn't have really time to relax between innings. Did it have anything to do with it? No, man. I mean, I just fucking walked the guys. It was pretty tough. So that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, and get them out of here. You don't.